Hey folks, welcome to episode 143 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Jody Cunt. Jody is a physical therapist at physiocarept.com with over 20 years of experience. I've been looking forward to this conversation because of my mental and physical growth through exercise. It has been a fascinating place to evaluate and build a relationship with my mind and my body. And those experiences have overlapped into things that are unrelated to fitness. Jody has studied and treated patients for decades, which has given her profound insight into not only physical therapy, but people's relationship to their bodies. We tend to think of physical therapy as an authority that you visit to recover from an injury. I see a physical therapist as more than that. Physical therapists are the mediators between your mind and your body. These people help you evaluate your relationship to your body while making a plan to learn and grow within. In this episode, we talk about how the human body adapts to our movement routines We define overuse injuries, the types of possible injuries, what a benchmark for a healthy body looks like, general concepts for healing an injury, and the concept of meeting yourself where you are. Your physical health is a powerful influence on your life. Your body is the interface between your mind and reality. Think of something as abstract as working on the computer, playing a video game, drawing, writing, all of those, your thoughts, your beliefs, your expression has to flow from your mind into your body. And even if your body did not have to act to deliver these abstract things, your body influences your mind, tension, pain, energy, Fatigue. How could it not start and end there? If you'd like to learn more about Jody, you can find her at physiocarept.com and you'll find the links to that in the show notes. Without any further ado, here's Jody. Jody, um, what, uh, what's your background in physical therapy? Like how long have you been a physical therapist and what got you started? Um, so I have been a physical therapist for about just over 23 years. I think, um, I started actually, I was a teacher first. I taught special ed and primarily I worked with kids who had autism Um, And I started in a private residential school. So I learned a lot of great stuff there. I got an opportunity to work with a lot of physical therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists. Then I taught in the public schools for a couple of years and I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. And ironically, I also figured, you know, I don't want to be 50 and on the floor working with kids. You know, what if I can't get up from the floor? And so I started looking around at other opportunities. And because I'd met so many great physical therapists and occupational therapists, I decided 
that would be a good direction to go. Um, and I investigated it. I knew I didn't want to sit at a desk. I knew I needed a job where I had a schedule that they was kind of accountable. I'm not somebody who is very self-directed when it came to things like that. I tend to procrastinate. So having patients on a schedule is a good thing for me. And I really love the teaching aspect of it. So it combined the teaching that I love with the physical movement that I loved. And ironically, I'm still getting on the floor, <laughs> working with patients, <laughs> teaching them exercises, you know, in my 50s. So I think it's helped keep me both healthier than if I'd had a desk job or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, because I get to move and I get to teach people. It makes me think about my posture every day. I really love my job. And it's one of those few positions you get where people are happy to see you and they tell you thank you. There's not a lot of, um, you know, positive reinforcement sometimes, I think, when we're working. And I am very lucky in that the job I have allows me to get that from my patients and to give positive reinforcement back to them when they, you know, feel better. So... And it's wonderful to see somebody, you know, with like, just even listening to you describe that, like with, with so much, you know, energy and enthusiasm about what they do. And that's like, it's beautiful when the, like the lifestyle constraints fit lock and key with your like personality and preferences. Yeah, it's, I think I am inherently a shy person. So the idea that I have to meet somebody new every day was a little intimidating <laughs> to me. <laughs> but I have to say, I really enjoy it. I mean, I get to hear a lot of different stories from a lot of different people. Um, I've, where I was working before, I had been at that clinic for about 15 years. So I knew people through kind of their lifespan. And I like that relationship. And it's a, a great way to be social, but in a very controlled fashion. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and that's what that's what I found as well, because, you know, I'm a very like, you know, shy and a, a person and I've had a history of being like, you know, having social anxiety and stuff and not so much anymore. But um, the podcast has been like a, a wonderful way to have these like social interactions that I really look forward to. And it's developed, you know, my like my affection and interest for um, socializing with other people, whether I've like known them for a really long time or not. Yeah, it's a it's a really I, I like the relationships that I get to form with my patients and um, and get to know them both as patients and try and help them, but also you know, as people and hear yeah. about their kids and their grandkids and what they, you know, before COVID, what they were doing that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that I've, you know, I've even come to terms with where like, there's like almost this nuance to preference on social interaction where some people like might excel a little more than others where, you know, whether or not you're dealing with a large group, right. Or right. you're dealing with very um, uh, small, like one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three interactions. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I find that I, I like, I really love the small groups, like either one to three people is where I really excel. Yeah, that's a kind of the perfect amount. You know, I like, and that's maybe why I always gravitated towards smaller clinics. The clinic I'm at now at PhysioCare, you know, we have a really great staff, but it's a small clinic. And, you know, we get to spend a lot of time with our patients and develop those relationships. And it definitely is much more comfortable than to say if I was working in a hospital setting. I'm sure I would adjust, but this is definitely the smaller community clinics. I like those a lot more. Yeah. And as a physical therapist, is there like some some portion where you have to like, you have to work with the personality of your client? Like it's really important to be able to get to know them in some way because it's helpful for your physical therapy goals? 
Yeah, you know, you have to make that connection. Um, you also, we talk about a little bit about buy-in. I mean, it sounds a little um, business-like and clinical, but you know, you really have to convince your patient that you can help them. You know, sometimes we have patients, they've come from another clinic and they've had PT before and it didn't really work, or they've had just not a good experience or a different experience. So you do have to find that connection with each patient that walks through your door and take into account where they are in their lives at that moment. Because, you know, you can't tell a 25-year-old who has three kids and is the sole provider that they have to stay off their sprained ankle because that's not realistic. You know, um, they need to figure a way to take care of themselves within the parameters of their lifestyle and what they can do, you know, what what they have Mm -hmm. control over. Um, And sometimes you have the personality who they are a linear person they like black and white, and I am not a linear person. I'm a big picture girl, and but I live with a linear person. So you start to develop those skills just, you know, and when they talk about the practice of, of medicine, I think that's what they're talking about. You know, they're talking about the, the practice of interacting with people and building that repertoire of working with different personalities in addition to different, um, whether disease processes, injuries, whatever, you really, it, you know, every patient is so different. It's yeah. not, like, not like school at all, where it's very, here's what you do for tendonitis. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine getting out of school, it's probably like a huge transition to make and like, you know, oh, yeah. those, process. Those first two to five years, you're learning so much. And you, you sometimes, at least for me, you feel like I had learned nothing. <laughs> You know, why isn't this working? They told me in school, you do this, this, and this, step A, B, and C, and then they'll get better. And I did A, B, and C, and nothing happened. (laughs) So it's always amazing when you do A, B, and C, and something happens. But I I think most PTs who are good PTs are really creative, and they really take into account the patients that they're working with and the goals of their patients as well. Again, it's individuals, and that helps you develop your skill set. Yeah, you have your basics, just like you would if you were learning to ski or climb. You know, all of those have different um, ways that you can do each of those things. You can ski the groomers, you can ski backcountry, you can ski moguls, you can climb trad, sport, boulder, all of those variations. And everybody's like that, even in the way their bodies move. We all move the same way, but we do it a little bit differently. And that's the exciting thing for me because, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and there's a lot of language around like exercise as this kind of chore is this thing that you like, you know, you, you should be doing so that you can be healthy and the success rate or the follow through rate of that, at least in my circles, um, seem pretty, pretty small. But when you can, um, how would you say? And you could redirect like these these things that are important and perhaps like good for you, right? Um, there there are ways to to turn it around and make it like a an explorative you know journey of your body and how your body functions or building a relationship with it to where it's like you know it's it's fun and it's um, it elicits curiosity and excitement to be able to you know push your body and explore uh, ends range of motion mobility and all of those things, yeah. right? 
And I had a patient a long time ago um, when I was back working on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and she was this very prim and proper 70-year-old, and she came in with some shoulder pain. And she it was in the summer, and we'd been working on her shoulders and working on strength. And she was of a generation where women probably didn't do a lot of physical activity. And so we were getting close to being done. Her shoulder was feeling great, getting ready for discharge. And one day she came in and she was wearing just kind of like a, a tank top type shell. And she points at her shoulder and she points at the side of her shoulder at her deltoid. And she's like, Jody, I don't know what this is. There's this lump here. And I said, that's your deltoid. That's a muscle. She's like, that's really nice. I said, I know, isn't it? So, you know, being able to teach her how to use her body and what her body was capable of, you know, as I said, that happened probably 20 years ago. And I still remember, wow. I can picture her. I can picture just the brightness in her eyes when she looked at her. She's like, oh, this is really lovely. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and that's yeah. like, I, I always, you know, talk to people often about, you know, like children, because children, you set up a play set, right? And they, they have this, like, um, they're compelled to play. And yeah. I even think that's something that, that, that we have as adults, you know, sometimes it gets lost or a little forgotten, but it's, it's there, right? Like it's, we find joy, whether it's skiing, rock climbing, or literally go into a park with your children. Um, these like using your body. And I mean, we use like terms in like fitness industry, right? Like pushing your body and like grinding and working and all of these kinds of things, but really like just playing. You know, yeah. playing in your body and whatever that looks like to you. I've even like, I, I find it funny when I go trail running and it's really rainy out. And like, I'm like, well, you know, I, I get so caught up in my head. Oh, I'm trying to get five miles and I'm hitting this this time. But like on a, on a real like true, beautiful, you know, experience of trail running in the, the rain for me is when I laugh myself and just think like, Man, I, all you wanted to do was come out here and jump in puddles, didn't you? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, I did. And if I run, I'll stay really warm and I won't get sweaty. So it's like... <laughs> so it's perfect. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny how we kind of, you know, think about exercise sometimes as something we have to do. And if you can find an activity that you enjoy, like you said, I'm going to go play in the puddles. It makes it that much easier to get it done. It doesn't feel like work. Or, you know, something that you have to push through. And that's always, I think, a challenge of, of we talked about different personalities of meeting somebody where they are and what makes it fun for them. And once you find that, then it makes PT a whole lot easier or it makes exercise for somebody a whole lot easier if you can work it into their normal routine and something that they enjoy. And it's interesting because there, there seems to be, um, at least with the, the specific like activities or forms of, you know, recreation, right? The carrot on the stick for like physical health. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a lot of ways to get to the party because I even look at like, you know, for strength and conditioning routines, there's like yoga covers something that's very similar in terms of strength, like calisthenics, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, but however, there are two different things. We're like yoga, um, and maybe I'm generalizing a little bit, but gen yoga seems to apply to, you know, more people who aren't so linear and type a whereas like calisthenics you know you're keeping track of all your numbers and you're doing yeah. your specific exercises and you're lining up all your flows you know and you have to like do it for you know you have to rest at specific intervals but then yoga is like this like big open flow class right and yeah. like i could see how that 
I see there's different modalities that seem to appeal to different kinds of personalities, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, we do that when we design our exercises for people to do at home because there's always homework. You know, there's, yeah. there's always stuff they have to do. <laughs> and I have some people who they want, you tell me exactly which ones you want me to do for how long, how many reps. And then I have other people who they do better if I give them a bunch of exercises, they get to choose, they can do things, you know, if their exercise is to work on their balance and stand on one leg, they're going to do that while they're waiting for their coffee mm -hmm. ready, right? They're going to work it into their daily routine. So there's definitely those, those personality types that you have to take into account. And I agree. I feel like yoga is much more, you know, open and flowy and a little bit more, I don't want to say creative versus something where you're looking at your sets and reps and progression of weight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it is interesting how it can be so different, even within the different uh, activities that are available to us. And, and it's cool too, because I've noticed that when people, if people don't have an experience in those things, whatever it may be, right. Even if they're trying, they're having a conversation with you in like the office that it's not, it's even an opportunity where if you don't know those things about yourself, to like, you know, push yourself in a direction and to reflect, to figure out what you might prefer. Yes. Um, and I imagine that you're like the, when you were talking about having to account for the, like your patient's personality, I imagine yeah. it's even really important to considering like the, the placebo and the nocebo effect. And I mentioned the nocebo effect because like it, regardless of, of how effective something is clinically, you're, you're often contending with the nocebo effect in which I would imagine anyways, in which where, you know, people believe that something doesn't work so much that the likelihood of it working, regardless of how, how it looks statistically with, you know, research is actually reduced. Do, do you, do you find that yeah, something it, to consider? Oh, definitely. The, you know, nothing makes us crazier as PTs and it doesn't happen that often anymore. Um, occasionally you'll have somebody who's referred by their doctor who the doctor will even say to the patient, well, I don't think PT is going to help, but why don't you go? Oh. I'm like, well, now you don't give me a leg to stand on. Yeah. And talk about really working on buy-in. I have to really try and convince this person that I have something to offer them and that I can maybe make it better. Um, or you have somebody who, as I said, has done PT before, maybe somewhere else and didn't have a good experience. You really kind of have to up your game a little bit so that you can get that buy-in. And usually if you can come up with one or two either interventions that I do with them, like a, you know, a joint mobilization or a strain counter strain technique or some type of technique that makes them feel better within that first visit or two, you've got them. Same thing with exercise, something that you can put them into a pose or a position or a movement pattern that takes their pain away. You, again, you you kind of have them for life in terms of now you're their PT. Um, but it can be tricky to battle against those preconceptions um, that patients sometimes have, or that, you know, on the flip side, they think all it is, is it's just exercise. You just, I could do these at home. Well, are you doing them the right way at home? Yeah. Well, we all have a personal vision of how we think we look when we're doing something. And our bodies are pretty tricky. They will put us in positions we shouldn't be in sometimes because it's a habit. So really convincing somebody that 
having a clinical eye to watch them do their exercises until they have it dialed in, that's also sometimes a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, the placebo effect, I think sometimes people just feel better because, you know, you had your hands on them. They're like, oh, I feel great. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's the other ones who already come in with that I'm not sure PT is going to help or have done this before, those are the harder patients. That's definitely that takes more work, I think, on everybody's part. They have to open their minds a little bit more, and we have to work a little harder as PTs to kind of convince them that it's, we have something to offer. When I was reading one of the, uh, a really good book on the topic of placebo and nocebo effect, yeah. uh, it's like Suggestible You by Eric Vance, and he talks about um, the research done on the nocebo effect, and that's actually something that's reflective just in general um, with that research where it shows that a nocebo effect is a lot harder to be able to, uh, uh, what is it, to, to counteract in, in some way yeah. in, in clinical trials. But even then, it's it was really hard it, with uh, running clinical trials with a nocebo effect because like the ethics behind that, I guess, are, are really um, murky in a lot of ways because you don't want to yeah, inflict someone really negative <laughs> yeah, things. <laughs> uh. yeah, I think that's the trickiest part sometimes about PT and, and medicine in general in terms of proving and disproving if something works, a technique or a medication or whatever is, you know, there's going to be those people who get the, the negative component. They don't get the treatment or they get the treatment that could hurt them or whatever that, you know, those I'm glad I don't have to design those studies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would not be good at it. No, I don't think I would be either. I'd be like, um, this is not going to be so good. Are you sure you want to yeah, yeah. Are you sure you signed up for this? I know. Did you read all the small print? Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned something about like your, your body um, developing perhaps like movement patterns that are not in your best interest uh or your body's yeah. best interest how could you explain to me um what your understanding of like of, of how that happens um and um why you would think that like the body doesn't correct that itself and how you help people to overcome that so um we talk a lot and i talk a lot with my patients about things like posture and positions that habitual positions that we sit in, move in. So, uh, you know, this is probably kind of a big statement. You know, our, the way our world is, we tend to sit a lot nowadays. We are not out farming. We're not out hiking and moving around through the world. Um, we, we're much more sedentary than we were. And so if you think about where you might sit to have dinner with your family, right? Everybody sits in the same spot. Where do you sit to watch TV? You sit in the same spot. Um, even if you were to cross your arms, and you crossed you know, your arms just to fold them in front of you, and then look down and see which one you've crossed, and then try and do it the other way. That's going to feel odd and wrong. So we tend to develop over time these postural habits that our bodies just naturally drift into, and the tissues tighten up or lengthen and become weaker in relationship to those positions that we put ourselves in. And so then when we try to do something like, let's say, rock climb, which you have to go up and reach for something. If I've been sitting and working at my desk, especially in these days of COVID, we're seeing this a lot, 
and I'm sitting at my desk for eight hours a day. I don't even get up anymore to go for meetings. Everything's in front of me. I'm going to be very tight and forward shoulders. My head might jut forward a little bit. My hip flexors in the front of my hips are going to be tight. And now I want to go do something that requires me to be open and reach. That's going to be harder to do. And so my brain still knows I need to reach. So I go and reach. But now my shoulder joint is compressed in a weird way. And so that can cause injury over time. So sometimes our job is to teach people to be much more posturally aware, to take more breaks, to move, in addition to teaching them all of the things, um, you know, to heal whatever tissue is injured. But it's amazing how very quickly our bodies will drift into the easiest position, which tends to be the one that we hang out in the most. Again, if, if that's one that we sit a lot or, you know, I always read laying on my left side, those patterns affect the way we move when we are outside of those patterns. Does that make sense? That does. And so that would, that almost is, you could flip that on its head in the other way. And that's the same reason why you're able to see people who are like contortionists, right? Like do very absurd things with their bodies because instead of looking at our body, like, Oh, the default mode of our body is, is like it, our body has this, um, a routine groove that is innate and that's super healthy, right? Like, you know, all the movements that it does and it's really hard to move it outside of those, um, of like good posture and all these other things. But if you were to, use the information that you have right and look at our bodies we could almost um observe that our body is extremely adaptable for better and for worse and because of that then whatever routine behavior that you have your body will adapt to it right and so a lot of times people who are you know say contortionists or gymnasts they've often done those sports or activities from an early age and enjoyed them and they also you know if you're a stiff person because everybody's muscle tone is a little different. If you run towards stiff, you're probably not going to be successful as a gymnast. So you're not going to choose that sport. You might choose something different, right? But say a gymnast or a contortionist, they're constantly reinforcing those patterns. And so that's why they can continue to, you know, fold themselves up into little tiny boxes or, you know, join Cirque du Soleil and do these amazing feats. And because they've developed that length and muscle control is is there in in your experience this might be out of your wheelhouse but are we the is this the same thing with other animals too um you know it's funny i was just talking with my patient this morning about that um because i said he he happened to as he got off the tables just do a normal kind of stretch because you know oh it just feels good to stretch he's like why do we do that i said you know i don't know why we did that hang on my light just went off (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're good um I don't know why we do that, but think about the way cats and dogs, when they first wake up, they stretch, right? And so I mentioned that to him and I said, you know, cats and dogs stretch. I think most animals stretch. And then I thought about an elephant. I'm like, elephants don't really stretch, do they, when they get up? So again, everybody's so different, but I do think in the animal world, you see that, right? The animals move through their range of motion much more than you or I do on a daily basis. You know, my dog sleeps a lot, but when he's up and moving, he's running around the yard, he's hopping up onto benches. They're just, they're much more varied than I think we are as humans often. 
And even within our, the environment, I think of this actually when I trail run, um, the environment in and of itself, like outside of the environment that we create, right, um, is not predictable. Like they're like, if I run a trail, if I run a trail, um, the trail isn't because sometimes when you run a road, you have to be careful from my understanding, because sometimes the road is off camber, leaning to the left. And then that that means that like, now my body has, I'm going to be running, you know, leaning to the left the whole time. And that seems to cause people trouble from what I've read um, for, for injuries and stuff. But then I think about it on the trail all the time and the trails, unless I run the same trail, but even then, like it's all twisty turny, you know, it's leaning to the left, to the right. And like, there is no consistency. And I like, there's hardly any consistency that I found on a trail like there is on a road. And I know a trail is obviously constructed by a person, right? But just the extension, the thinking of that, because even in my own house, like to go to my, from my room to my kitchen, I mean, like that's the, the ground, all of the things is the same. And I, I guess for like a dog, right? Like, or any other extension of like another animal outside of our environment, I, I guess the body would never be used to that. Right. Like that's, Uh, right well and it's that's a perfect example of you know the running on the road versus running on the trail because we see that a lot you know we'll say well where excuse me as people are trying to run more or get better exercise again because they can't go work out in a gym they're running on their road because it's easiest and so they're like i don't know why my knee is bothering well where are you running i'm running just this same loop around my house over and over and over again and it's not varied enough and so then you put them on a trail or you have them run the burke gilman you know on the the dirt side or something like that where they can move around and deal with uneven surfaces. And that's so much better for our bodies. It's better in terms of the repetitive stress that we put on them. Um, it's better for our balance because you have to deal with uneven ground. You know, as adults, we stay on the sidewalks, but do kids stay on the sidewalks? No, they're running, they're on the grass, they're on the gravel, you know, they're zigzagging across the sidewalk to the grass. And so that's another thing that, you know, as we age, balance becomes an issue because we stay on the sidewalk. We walk in our shoes on the floor and, you know, it, we're not challenging ourselves on those unlevel surfaces. And so it's, you know, variety, as they say, is the spice of life. And it's certainly what helps keep your body healthier. Just mix it up. Have you seen any benefit of um, repetitive stress that someone is conditioned to, right? Like, um, to elaborate on that have you seen anyone get any benefit out of doing the same activity over and over again um even though the challenge has not increased or the stress has not increased um i I tend to think about that more in terms of like accommodating or loading tissues in -hmm. preparation for activity you know it's there's a little bit of debate i think um we used to think that loading, you could progressively load tissues and make them stronger. And there's a little debate about the benefits of that. But in general, I have found personally that you can't, it's difficult to go from no activity to a lot of activity, right? You have to kind of build up. And so repetition in that respect can be helpful um, because you're kind of slowly getting those tissues ready by doing the same activity over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I guess unless you were training for something specific, like 
say arm wrestling where you're only going to use your right arm Mm -hmm. that in general, our body doesn't necessarily like repetitive stress. Mm. Um, Unless you are perfectly biomechanically exact. And most of us are not. And our body. So, okay. That's interesting. And would you then um, infer that our body is able to, to, manage and mitigate imperfect movement i think it is yeah because we get that in like deadlift like there's like all different kinds of exercise is from i mean from yoga to like you know barbell all that other stuff and there's like this you know perfect version of the form and then Mm -hmm. there's you know the imperfect version um there's a lot of nuance there. And I find it interesting because in like yoga, for instance, you could strive to have like more and more perfect lines. Right. Um, but that seems to be missing the point. Yeah. Again, it gets back to, I think meeting your body and the individual where they're at. Sometimes you have structural differences, you know, that are, that you don't have control over the fact that your femur has a little bit more rotation. So your femur is your thigh bone and it causes you to toe out a bit more on one side. And so you can want all you want to make sure that it doesn't, but if you let your body work where it's kind of best at working, it's gonna wanna toe out a bit. And so sometimes you have to make those accommodations. Um, Sometimes those accommodations are not gonna cause you any issues, and sometimes they can longer term become an issue that you might have to address, again, depending on what your activity is that you're involved in. say skiing where you kind of need to have your skis parallel you know if you've got your right skis always going off to the right side that's not gonna that's gonna be a little more challenging so your body is then able to adapt in terms of muscle length and tension and control so that you can keep your skis parallel Mm. Uh, even though the skeleton maybe would want to let it drift off to the right so you know everybody's just so different in terms of the way that their body is designed, moves, muscle activation, et cetera. And that's interesting because the the relationship that you develop with your body, um, it seems like it could help develop a lot of someone's um, growth mindset and their character. Cause like you, you have this thing where you, someone were to do an exercise or just it really anything. And oftentimes um, I'm generalizing a lot, but people would confront that with a, could confront that with a fixed mindset, right? Like, Oh wow, that looks really cool. I can't do that. And like, you know, physically barring any surgery, I would imagine um, through consistent practice, a lot of things are probably pretty possible. Yeah, our, we are very um, plastic in our our bodies and the way that we can adapt. Sometimes for the negative, like we we're talking about postural habits, that obviously can create some imbalances. But I've had patients that, like I had one guy who he had broken his arm, and I think he was maybe from Mexico, and they had not set great. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't extend his arm fully and he was getting a job and he had to do something called a pre-work screen where he had to be able to demonstrate to me that he could do the tasks of the job before he could actually get hired. And he was not a tall man and he had to be able to reach to, I think, a 70 inch shelf with a hundred pounds. Oh, wow. 
I was like, okay, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do this because you don't have full stretch through that elbow. And he had adapted and he did it without a problem. Wow. Because he probably had more mobility in his shoulder blade so he could gain some range there. He knew he probably had to push more with his right foot. He had made those adaptations over time so he was able to do it. Luckily, he only had to do it once because... <laughs> I was a little concerned, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, our bodies are really amazing in what they can adapt to and allow us to do um, sometimes. So when you have someone who says, oh, I can't do that. It's like, well, try what's, you know, the worst that's going to happen. Yeah. And that's that life and death situation or something, but (laughs) so you can't do it. That's all right. Let's try it. Yeah, exactly. I had a I had a friend, um, Bud Jeffries, and he's like a personal trainer, and he would train um, elderly women who were like, you know, were coming out of just not not very physically able, right? And he would train them by um, having them lift kettlebells because kettlebells, everything was in kilograms, and they he'd get a he would um circumnavigate the mental side of things right that they're is like smart. yeah and he so when they're lifting all the things because he would like in his experience that was a huge conversation is kind of what you're talking about before regarding the patient and their own belief and their like abilities or how they feel about this and like he'd hear like self-limiting talk all the time and the, his his favorite way was um, the kettlebells because of the, the they didn't know what kilograms were and the numbers are smaller and then also he was getting them to pull trucks and the reason why he was doing that was because it was like a is an interesting thing that I find even okay yeah we have there's an interesting thing that I even find with um yeah there was an interesting thing that I find though with like when with the pulling the car cars because i was watching videos and listening to him talk about these you know these women and pulling the cars was like he was giving them a physical experience sure but it was like almost an excuse to give them an emotional experience right like and it affects them like the whole like they're they brought they, their whole eyes light up and they feel so confident about themselves and they're like oh this is so cool <laughs> and it's like that's what's so beautiful because what i what i've learned is is like wow my body's a little more capable than i thought through consistency you know you gain confidence because you realize yeah. that you're growing and like i see that relationship that we could have with our body could really help us in a lot of other things yeah and it's really hard when um you know somebody comes in and it's like well i've never been able to do this or i couldn't do this so i love the image of these older women pulling cars (laughs) 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 i think that we tend to um underestimate what we're capable of physically you know we for whatever reason you get somebody who says oh well i always work at a desk job i couldn't possibly run a 5k but um then you get somebody who says you know i think i'd like to try that Mm -hmm. and i'm willing to start small and i'm like that's great but it's always such a positively reinforcing event when somebody has that moment where they do something that they were they didn't think they could like Mm -hmm. a car but I love the whole kilogram trick. Because I'd be like, oh, I don't know how much it is. It's in kilograms. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that, that's something that I actually learned when I was uh, working with uh, emotionally and behaviorally delayed children. Um, 
in like the school systems where it was really hard for them to feel success. Like for some of the students I'd work with to feel successful with the schoolwork and the schoolwork was a, a point of contention and, and anger and frustration. But yeah. I would like look at it and it's like, well, it is kind of complicated and, you know, abstract. Right. But like I would take our breaks and oftentimes the the children would be kind of bored or, or something like that. Cause we had a really small playground. Um, and this was a school that was just for um, like uh, children who had like EBD um, yeah. situations. And I would go and take them out for, for runs and I would teach them how to run. And like, I was always trying to get them to find ways to, I would always tell them to like, to game, like um, the, uh, the feelings inside their bodies right so if we were like run really hard we could feel really good and right. so so we would do stuff like that and create different challenges and it was like it was a lot easier to give them that experience right to have that pass through of like you know we could build confidence through running we can build fun and excitement through running and like all these kinds of things and that's what i found was interesting through fitness was like there's a lot of things in life that i can i learn very similar lessons as i do through my exercise but when I'm doing it with my exercise, it's very visceral and it's not abstract. Like the feeling of accomplishment I get from progressing in um, yoga or lifting weights or whatever, working with these kettlebells, there's no like, it's really hard to argue when you've moved up to the next kettlebell. Yes. Well, and it's so concrete in a way. As you said, it's not abstract. It's not, oh, I, you know, completed these math exercises or something like that. And you have that there's that mental physical component to it that I think is so powerful because you feel more powerful when you make that next step because you, you felt the way it was when you couldn't lift that kettlebell or you couldn't obtain that pose or you couldn't ski that black diamond run or whatever it is. And then you did it. And it's, you know, that is it's a huge sense of accomplishment, much more than I feel like, you know, solving a problem is or something like that. And, but that's also just me. I tend to, I think, to be much more physical, a little less cerebral versus, you know, I'm sure my husband would still choose skiing down in black, but he also is pretty pleased with himself if he solves a, a very complex math problem. Yeah. <laughs> He'd still choose the skiing, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you made that point because I have almost like in my life, I didn't get understand the satisfaction from just any experience of like, you know, learning, right, I guess. Um, yeah. And then when I started to get, I realized that I was a little more physical, because when I really, you know, outside of school, after I as an adult, getting into these physical practices, I've never been so satisfied and fulfilled in my whole life. And like, and then that has been an extension of the abstract things, right, with reading and like, learning different kinds of skills. Um, I, and that's why I would love trying to introduce like different kinds of exercise concepts and different practices and learning how to build a relationship with your body. Because at least like a little bit, it gives a little more of an understanding of, you know, who you are and your relationship with growth. Yeah. And I think because I probably, as I said, I couldn't see myself working at a desk. I saw myself, I, I needed that physical movement, I think, to 
to feel like I was doing something, accomplish something. And then it allowed me to develop some of the other skills like public speaking, um, you know, staying on task because I got to get my notes done. So all of those other things that I maybe struggled with that were harder for me before, because I was moving was a little bit easier for me to do. I saw them as an extension rather than as the, the driving force. So kind of, as you said, that that growth component, you learn those same skills. You just didn't maybe learn them in the rigid school format. You learn them because you were doing something you enjoyed. And then you started to realize, oh, well, I need to also be able to talk to people and explain things and um, explain physics to somebody in a way that is understandable because it affects the, the lever arm of lifting something. So um, it's an interesting way to think about how how I've ended up here <laughs> and the skills that I've developed over time as a relationship to the fact that I enjoy being involved in moving more than, than not. So. Um, what, in your mind, what does a, a healthy body look like? Yeah. I thought when you, this was a really good question when you sent me some of the questions ahead of time. Um, because and I, and I mentioned it to some of my colleagues too. And we all kind of thought like, I don't think we have a good vision of what a healthy body is. We know what a healthy body doesn't look like. Um, and, but it, for me, it really comes down to the way somebody's eyes are. I know that sounds weird. Interesting. Yeah. So like if somebody walks into my office you can tell from their eyes how much pain they're in or what they might be dealing with. You can have somebody who looks super fit and maybe isn't really that healthy, either because they have an injury or they have really, you know, they've got really bad back pain because they've been working out a lot and maybe they've strained something mm -hmm. um, or maybe they have an eating disorder. You know, there's all of these things that can go on in somebody's life. Or you can have somebody who's much more heavy set, but they hike and they're active and they're healthy and, you know, they sprain their ankle and it's slowing them down. So I kind of feel like it, a healthy body is more about how somebody feels inside than what they look like. I, I really, the thing that I love about that, it comes from a revelation that I've been having with my own self and my own goals. My goals would often be extrinsic, mm -hmm. um, very external. How far are other people running? Um, you know, and like, I want to get there too, right? I want to run as fast as them. Um, how, how much can I like lift? What are people doing in yoga? You know, and I want to, I want to get there. I want to do that. What's the next step to getting there? And what I, what I learn is that I, I, you know, I try to go do those things and those don't happen to be what I'm interested in, right? Like learning to run that fast as yeah. these other people I'm comparing myself to that running would have to be my only thing if I wanted to do that anytime soon um, for, for like the lifting, right. Um, very similar thing. Or I might like, for instance, I was doing, you know, calisthenics and planche leans and then all of a sudden my, you know, my wrist starts flaring up and I realized that I have like um, weak wrists mm -hmm. and I have to address that. But to address that, my wrists, I have to deload my wrists or no, I, I can't, I'm going to, I stopped training, you know, um, my planche, my planche leans, and I have to focus on my wrists and build strength in, in my wrists and all these other things and figure out how to use them. 
Um, when I would, those moments would really freak me out because my idea was, is that my body is supposed to be functioning that, you know, it's like, I'm not injured and I am progressing in these goals that I set. I realize in those moments, um, when like panic ensues and I'm on the verge of injury (laughs) that, um, that this is actually where I need to be because striving for the planche, I learned that whatever I'm doing with my wrists or the, the ability of my wrists is not where I need them to be, to be able to do the skill. And so I need to focus my training to um, improve this. And for me, I, I find that in moments of duress where I get like injured or something kind of hurts a little bit and I push really hard, I have a very unhealthy mindset in my um, striving, right? In yoga or running. And that's when real problems start to ensue, whether it's like, you know, emotional fatigue or I do get injured. And that's where I, I think a lot where it's like, I might not be really fast these past few weeks, but my mindset has been really good and that. And therefore my running is really good. I feel good. I feel like have good feelings about it. My body feels great. I'm not pushing myself into a recovery hole. And I've realized that like my mindset's almost more important than anything else. I, I would agree with that a lot. I kind of feel like we're so competitive. Even people who don't think of themselves as competitive, or maybe it's competitive is not the right word. We're so hard on ourselves. Sometimes we set those goals. And if we don't make those goals, then... Um, you know, we, we tend to feel bad about ourselves and then whatever the activity is loses its enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and that can, uh, can be very sad and a little dysfunctional because, uh, you know, then we lose the, the thing that had previously given us joy. So being able to step back, I mean, it's one of those statements that, um, a long time ago, uh, a yoga instructor had mentioned, and it's, which is a very much a yoga concept of meet yourself where you are today mm-hmm. on the mat, right? All, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for just being on the mat. Try and just be present in the moment. And that's so hard for us to do sometimes as individuals. Um, you know, I always try and set this goal for myself as a climber. I'm a pretty good climber, but I don't lead because it terrifies me. And my husband's very happy to lead, so I let him do that. And some people would think, well, why don't you lead? Because it's not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I climb because it's fun. Why would I want to scare myself? I don't like to be scared. <laughs> that part's not fun to me. And even he will tell you, you know, he loves to climb and he loves to lead, but he's the happiest on a 510. You know, it's like a really nice, as you were saying, it's that nice, easy trail run where you're jumping in the puddles. Why yeah. wouldn't just do that all day because it's just so much fun. You know, being scared every now and then can be fun, but I don't want to live on that edge all the time. Um, So I think, you know, goals are important and I think we should have them, but I also think having that healthy dose of being willing to meet yourself where you are that day. Some runs are going to be great. Some runs are going to be harder. You just have to accept that that's where you are at that point. And we do that a lot too in physical therapy, especially with our post-surgical patients. They hear, I'm getting a new knee. And in their mind, <laughs> they're going to be dancing in a week. <laughs> 
and it's a long process. And so you have to remind them that they're going to get there. They just, some, each day is going to be different because each day is different. You know, sometimes you wake up and it's rainy and it's cold and you're achy and some days it's beautiful and sunny and you feel better. Um, so that's, I think the biggest thing that I try and personally live by as well as impart upon my patients is that each day is a different day and you have to meet yourself where you are at that time. Mm, and that's beautiful. And it's like, you even find that with, you know, with loading, um, with loading stress for hypertrophy, right? Cause even, oh, yeah. even if you try to take on as much possible stress as you could put on yourself, that's, you know, kind of rife for injury, right? Yeah, there's this that tipping point where you know you want to build those muscle tissues, but you got to allow for recovery, and that can change based on age. That can change based on health. You know, if you're fighting off a cold, you know, your body's busy doing other stuff. It doesn't have time to build muscle, mm. right? And so, a little light workout's probably a good place to do that that day instead of being like, all right, well, this is what I'm supposed to do on Tuesdays. I do legs and abs. You know, you might need to change it up and do a little bit more flexibility or a little bit lighter weight or just go for a longer walk, something like that. So you, again, meeting where you're, what your body's capable of that day. It's interesting, the um, almost like the concept, I think, of integrity, where you know, you expect, you put a demand on your body or even on your own self. Mm -hmm. And there's a question of, is that, is that demand meeting you where you are? And then you strive to, you know, like, I'm going to run to that tree. And yeah. you, you strive to run to the tree and you come up short. And then there's this little like character moment of, did I come up short because my body truly isn't capable of making it to that tree? Or did I come up short because, you know, this, um, I'm thwarting myself or I'm not trying really hard. And that's, that's a very complicated and personal space, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we need an excuse um, to be able to go there and practice that and learn where to draw that line, right? Yeah, I think, you know, because you want to try things and see what you can do. And sometimes you do want to push your body. You're, you want to see what your, what your limit is, you, you know, whether it's trying uh, to run further or faster or to make it to that tree. I think too, it's, as you said, it's that internal discussion that you have with yourself of, did you, did you just stop? It's the reason I don't run on treadmills. Cause I'll just stop. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm just going to get off. Um, or did you really give it all that you could? And some days you can give it all and still not reach that tree. And other days you just not want to try and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, those are sometimes the days that you make it to the tree. Yeah, isn't that the weird part? <laughs> it is. I'll, we'll go out, you know, we'll go climbing or something, and I'll be like, uh, we haven't climbed in weeks. I'm tired. I'm, you know, I worked all week. This is just going to be awful. And I climb great. <laughs> you know, and then you feel so wonderful. And other days, you have been training. You've been, you know, working on the hangboard. You've been going to the gym, doing all those things, and you go out and you suck. <laughs> and you yeah. just can't stay on anything, can't hold on to anything. So you just never know. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, I think that's why we keep doing things like skiing, running, 
you know, and continue with activities because you just never know. And it's that element of surprise. Is it going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day? And bad days are okay because you learn something. Exactly. (laughs) And they set you up for having really good days too. Because then you're like, well, that was better than last week. Uh, how what in your mind what is an overuse injury and do you believe that we have a limited capacity to stress certain areas of our body um so you know technically an overuse injury is you know let's use to say elbow tendonitis because that's something that most people are kind of familiar with you know you have pain at the outside of your elbow usually it's related to um over gripping or typing you know again that repetitive constant grasping using your hands, golfing, tennis, those can all provoke elbow symptoms. Um, it is often an irritation over time of the, the tendon and the, the musculotendinous junction where there's little micro tears, just like when we are trying to build muscle to create some hypertrophy. We break down those muscle tissues a bit and they rebuild essentially. essentially. That can happen in a negative way, oftentimes at a tendon attachment. The tendon under load tears very microscopically, and then the body tries to fix it, which is great. That's what it's supposed to do. But sometimes that tissue gets thickened, it can get irritated and get get inflamed, and then you end up with an injury. Um, Those can be overcome sometimes by, you know, gets back to that repetitive loading that we were talking about, kind of slowly progressively loading tissues um, and breaking down some of that scar tissue. So repetition, say in running, can cause some issues because it's essentially the same motion over and over and over and over. And as we, again, talked about earlier, running on the road has some implications that maybe trail running doesn't because the terrain's buried. So sometimes switching things up is a better way. But in general, you know, repetitive injuries can be really hard to treat and they kind of, they're more chronic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get them, you can manage them acutely, but they can become chronic really easily. And then it just becomes a long-term management thing. You can have somebody who has kind of what they call runner's knee where they have an IT band syndrome or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a chronic injury for them. It happens if they increase their mileage or something, but eventually you can get them over that hump you can kind of retrain their body once you allow the tissues to kind of heal. And when you're retraining their body, are you retraining it to, to have like better, better movement patterns or is it that you're, you're building their, their baseline tolerance for stress? Sometimes it's a little, usually it's improving motor patterns, you know, retraining the body so that you're limiting the stress that you're putting on tissues. But sometimes it is also improving their tolerance. Um, you know, probably people are a little bit more at risk for injury, at least with relationship to sports, say with running or playing tennis, where they're, they're just starting out or they started to push too hard, too fast or something like that. So if you can change the mechanics, that's going to help. But if you also gradually increase their, um, their, the repetitiveness or the the time that they're spending doing that activity is probably going to be more beneficial for them um, than if they just hit it really hard out of the gates. You know, it's that typical, I'm going to run a 5K, so they go run 
a 5k or three and a half miles or something and they haven't done anything for a year and then they do they do great for like maybe the first week and then things start to fall apart (laughs) yeah (laughs) right because they're again repetitively continually stressing things in a way that their body's not ready to do so we tend to address both sides usually biomechanically we make some adjustments um, and then helping educate them in terms of how to kind of safely progress things and do you find that the overuse injuries, are they focused on uh, or do they mainly affect tendons or is it in the musculature as well? Um, it can be in the muscles and joints as well. I mean, again, you can talk about arthritis, right? And so the wearing away of cartilage and things like that or irritation in the, the where the vertebrae meet. It's that there's a joint there that's kind of glides. So it allows us to bend forward or twist depending on which part of our spine we're talking about. And those can develop some arthritis. So instead of being this nice smooth joint, it's a little bit more sandpapery. doesn't glide as well as it should. And some of that is normal wear and tear, but some of that could also be overuse. Um, so say, you know, the, the, Oh, perfect example was guy. I had a guy a long time ago who he was a um, tile setter. He worked in tile. And so not only did he have some elbow tendonitis, but his back and his knees weren't so great either because he was constantly on his hands and knees setting tile floors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was more joint related. So it really, those overuse injuries can occur anywhere, um, not just at tendons. So if you're looking at someone who's like setting tile or typing on the keyboard and perhaps something, correct me if I'm wrong, a little more chronic in the overuse injury. Yep. Um, are you, to, to generalize, I know it might be hard, in those chronic situations, is it more of a problem with the overuse injury that they're not pushing their upper limits of their ability in those moves? Like, no, so- not, not so much. I think it's just, it's, it's, that wear and tear component. It's just the reason that we change our tires on our car, right? Mm-hmm. Certain joints just can wear out. Okay. Um, and so there's a, a tissue limit. They do, you know, they've done studies of stress strain studies on tendons, like how much pull can you put on a tendon before it's going to rupture say, which is obviously a much more acute fast injury, but there's also that how long can it manage that stress before it really starts to break down and lose integrity. Um, so it's, it, they definitely that, that impact can change based on, um, you know, age, fitness, activity. But I, I do feel like there's just sometimes things wear out. I mean, we live much longer now than we did. And recovery time changes as we age too and muscle tissues and things, you know. A 20-year-old is, is going to recover faster than a master's athlete who plays tennis or, you know, I have a, lot, I have a few friends who run ultra marathons and they're in their 60s mm-hmm. and they do great, but it does take them a little longer to recover than it would say a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, so. Yeah, and do you, do you find that there's any kind of limitation um, or uh, consequence to having to do a certain repetitive activity 
uh, or where you're obligated to do a certain repetitive activity on like a weekly or daily basis and you're not able to get some form of rest or break from that kind of motion? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where repetitive use injuries, if you look at like labor's, labor and industry who um, really, I think, I'm not sure if it was OSHA who defined it as a repetitive use injury, but you have people who they work on an assembly line and their job is to do whatever piece of that assembly is over and over and over and over again. Now, I think with OSHA, there's definitely some um, new guidelines they put in place and things over the years where they try and rotate so that you're not stuck just doing the same thing over and over again, because that is just wear and tear. I mean, think about taking a paperclip and if you bend that paperclip back and forth, it's going to pop eventually, right? So those people are, those patients I find are often the hardest to work with, not from a personality perspective, but just because their job requires them to do the same thing and finding ways to teach their body to manage that. And you kind of hope that it, you can give, you can calm things down enough so that they can improve the mechanics, mm -hmm. uh, but they're hard to work with. I mean, it's, it's kind of like working with a mechanic with back pain. You know, there's yeah. positions that they have to be able to get into. So. And and it makes sense thinking about it now and what you're what you're working with if you are dealing with someone who perhaps have internalized like unhealthy movement patterns and it's causing them um, chronic stress then the, and that's a movement pattern that they have to use in their job how can you give them pause of from doing that movement pattern and then teach them a new movement pattern and get them to not repeat the old one long enough so that they can internalize the new one. Am I getting yeah. that dynamic right? Yeah, that is a that's a, a really big challenge in, in pretty much anything that we try and teach somebody in PT too, because we only see them a couple times a week, maybe one time a week, and then they live their life the rest of the time in the way that they're used to. And sometimes that involves a repetitive job, whether it's typing on a computer or sitting at a computer or... Um, you know, working on a car or they're, they work in landscaping. So it's tricky to teach their body to move a new way. And some people have better body awareness than others. And sometimes the demands of their job or their activity is just, that's part of the activity and you have to be able to work around that. I, I find that perhaps I'm generalizing a little much, um, but I find that in when you teach anybody something where I could take, so it's easier to teach somebody who has never done, um, done this activity before. Right. Um, yeah. because they have not internalized, um, the poor, poor, you know, um, habits. But yeah. if I take someone who's been doing it for three years and maybe they have some poor habits, it's very, you know, they're a chef and they just, their way of cooking or whatever doesn't isn't working and I need to like reteach them that in all different kinds of you know fields I've heard is very hard to do still can oh, be done but way harder it's it's and it's so hard people don't like change you know we yeah. struggle with change and so it can be very challenging I would agree it's easier to teach somebody who has never done an activity before um, and you can correct some of those habits as you go. But I used to go and do like ergonomic assessments on site where we go and we look at somebody's desk setup. And I remember, you know, obviously something like changing the mouse from the right to the left 
-hmm. that's going to mess people up because they're not left-handed, they're right-handed. But I asked a woman to change her phone from the right to the left. And you would have asked, like, you would have thought I'd ask for her firstborn. (laughs) I can't possibly do that. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? She's like, I can't, it can't, that's, it needs to be on that side. And so, you know, but it hurts when you reach with your right arm. Wouldn't it be better to reach with your left arm? (laughs) She's like, nope. So overcoming those can be really challenging. And I think that that's something that I think is applies to life as a whole, because there's plenty of times where I have routine behavior um, or habits, right? Whether it's like, you know, uh, an eating thing, um, how I spend my time, a variety of those things that um, it might do me a little good to to figure out how to change up my habits from time to time. Um, and I, and I find that even with this social anxiety and being shy, kind of like what we talked about right out the get go, um, that was something that made me wildly uncomfortable, but I was, I was able to set up and game game the, um, or set myself up to practice socializing in these scenarios so that I can improve despite it making me feel very uncomfortable and feel very out of my element. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you know we definitely are creatures of habit. I mean, even just asking somebody to change sides of the bed, you know, anything like that, or to move out of our comfort zone. We all feel better when we know what to expect, right? We know that on Mondays we have dumplings for dinner. On Tuesdays we have, you know, we chicken for dinner. There, we like that sense of knowing what's coming down the pike right? What's coming at us. But I think we learn the most when we step outside of those comfort zones, right? We don't learn from doing the same thing over and over again. We talk about it a lot when doing balance training with some of our older folks that you learn from your mistakes like you do in life, right? Your body learns from you losing your balance in a safe environment. And what you said about choosing opportunities to practice social skills with people in what you felt more comfortable with a safer environment or whatever allowed you to then branch out to different environments same thing being able to kind of push those boundaries in a way that you can still be successful and comfortable but just a little bit on the edge of scared those are those are my i like to hang out there just a little bit of scary is okay And what I love about that is, is that you are able to draw that, um, you're able to, to talk about that in a physical way, but also mental way, because, well, I mean, if, if someone is a, uh, is, I think it's hydrophobic or where they're afraid of swimming in the water and you have like this whole thing in psychology of exposure therapy, right? And exposure therapy isn't like, Hey, let's go and get in a boat and go in the middle of the ocean and drop you in the water in a cage full of sh- and sharks swim around you. Like <laughs> you're going to give that person trauma. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's start maybe in the waiting pool yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not going to put somebody out there. Let's stand on a balance beam two feet up because the mind 
such a powerful thing, right? Mm-hmm. It knows what it's going to be scared. And so find, again, it all comes to meeting the, the person, the individual, um, yourself, where you are, I think, at that time. Uh, some days you can stand on the balance beam. Other days you might just want to stand on a foam block. And that's yeah. a good thing to be. So. That's cool. And um, so when I've had, ex- hmm, how would I say this? I was listening to uh, an exercise, like a physiologist, and he was talking about running. And one of his, um, I guess, suggest or studying like r- improving your efficiency in running. And mm-hmm. he would talk about using, um, you know, sprints, like interval sprints, um, one once or doing doing interval sprints every seven to ten days. You know, very infrequently right uh, and he was saying that if you were to do an effort of you know eight out of ten or nine out of ten basically very hard effort um, mm-hmm. you would train efficiencies for your easy pace um, do you find that to be something do you find that to be true in your experience with like teaching people um, efficient movement patterns by introducing like uh more resistance or more yeah like giving them like a a high amount of load to be able to improve their efficiency um sometimes i've tried that if i'm trying to override some of their neuromotor patterns so like their brain to muscle connections Mm -hmm. Um, for something like running um or let's say even even to some extent skiing or climbing or other sport type of activities, I do think that there is a benefit to asking high demands of your body mm-hmm. in that way because then when you go a little bit easier, um, you know, it's obviously not as hard. Your body doesn't have to work as hard. Our bodies generally like to be efficient, mm-hmm. and so they will figure out how to be efficient. And sometimes they have to figure that out a little more quickly when you're asking more of it. In PT, sometimes I will have somebody lift a heavier weight once. Mm -hmm. So, and it gets a little bit more into trying to, what we were talking about earlier about, they have this idea that they can't do something. So if I can get them to do it with a little bit more weight, then when we take the weight away, it seems easier. Yeah. Right. So like, say if I have, a, I had a, a patient just the other day who she had an arm fracture and she can't really even bend her elbow because she's been in a sling for four weeks. And part of that was that mental connection. And so once I had her help her elbow to bend and just bring her hand to her shoulder, then she tried it on her own and suddenly she could do it. Mm. Right. So sometimes it's just reach, distracting them with something else, whether it's extra load or helping them into that position um, that will kind of, again, make that mind to muscle connection or that neuromotor pathway work more efficiently at a lower level does that make sense that was kind of that does make sense and yeah i i entered that with a little rambliness there (laughs) There, um but you did great thank you because that's where i was interested in like you know if if a if a hard effort could subconsciously or naturally improve efficiency um or move them towards a more efficient movement pattern yeah i think 
there's that whole kind of gaming the brain a bit, right? To, to distract it a bit so that it tries to figure it out. And then when you take away some of the demand, it's just a little easier because that demand isn't as high. And it's like, oh, well, I can do this. And do you, is there some val- validity to this where if you are always operating in your, just your, uh, your easy ability, right? Where you're not under an extreme amount of load, you're doing an easy effort, that there is room there to have, um, you don't have to be careful in your movement patterns, right? There is not consequential in the moment. Yeah, I think, you know, there is, everybody has a personal, say, walking pace or running pace, Mm -hmm. right? or hiking pace. Um, so you see this sometimes with like groups of hikers that go out, there's the people who are at the front and then there's the people who are at the back and they just, you know, nobody's doing it better or worse. There's just everybody's efficiency is at a different speed. My body works best maybe at a little slower pace than, you know, my friend's body works if they're running right they they run at a little faster pace most people will find this like it's easiest to quantify on a treadmill you know there's that point where you can't walk anymore and you have to run and that miles per hour is different for everybody and your body knows at where that point is and that right so you know that you can't walk it'll be uncomfortable to walk at four miles per hour but if you break into a jog or run your body's much more comfortable at that Right. So you just there's that spot that everybody's a little bit different. And so sometimes you just have to find that it's essentially autopilot where your body works the most efficiently, mm-hmm. whether it's walking, running, hiking, skiing. And, and that's something that I find interesting because you have like when, when you go into into any of these kinds of activities, um, you don't inherently you kind of know how to move, right? But you don't yeah. at the same time. Like, Oh, yeah. You, you, anybody can run, right? Yeah. Anybody can walk. You can hike. You can snowshoe. It's just, it, it's a little different for everybody. And then it takes a while to become good at it. You can tweak things, right? I could go for, I'm not a great runner. I could go for a run. But if I don't have great hip strength or core control, I'm more likely to have some injuries or distance limitations or speed limitations or something like that versus somebody like yourself who runs regularly on trails, who also does you know some yoga and works out. You maybe have a little bit better core strength. You might be able to run further because you have and with less risk of injury than somebody who's just starting running because maybe they need to develop some of that core and hip strength that you have developed over time. And um, what, what is an injury? So an injury, oh gosh, it's been a long time since I've been in school. (laughs) (laughs) So an injury is usually um, due to, there's different kinds of injuries. So there's obviously a traumatic injury. You break a bone, you pop a tendon, right? It ruptures. More of the injuries that we see tend to come from what we would call overuse or postural imbalances. And those injuries are usually because of an abnormal pull, either on the muscle or the tendon that creates inflammation and 
an injury to the tissue, like tearing of the tissue that the body can't fix. You're done. Come on. You said that you were done. No, that's a long time. You said you were done right now. Love you. At nine oh three, you said twenty minutes. That'll be twenty three. Five minutes. No, that's when I start school. Mm-hmm. Are we gonna play games on our lunch? If you want, sure. Yeah. Sorry about that, Jody. That's all right. <laughs> I love how easily he was like, oh, "What are we gonna do at lunch?" <laughs> I'm gonna be upset about this, but now I want to go at lunch. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll look forward to lunch now. Thank you. That's right. Okay, five more minutes. Um, So back to the injury. It's Mm -hmm. basically those micro tears that occur in the tendon or the muscle that your body's trying to heal. And so, okay. And then usually it has that inflammatory phase where, which is initially good, brings all of the building blocks that your body needs to fix things. Um, It's when we can't get that inflammation calmed down that things can go awry. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go out on a, on a limb here because I'm trying to understand some things that I've seen in different kinds of uh, physical disciplines. Yes. Um, in, so in things like you talked about like the IT band syndrome and um, right. for like runner's knee, um, I've seen some things in like uh, in jujitsu, if you're familiar mm-hmm. Um, where people are like have trouble, you know, with their, with their knees functioning or like squatting low, or maybe like they can't close their hand all the way. Um, I have seen when people are like for like barbell lifting, right. Mm -hmm. Um, some things like for people to lose range of motion from, you know, they spend all this time like lifting this thing that I perceive as healthy. Right. And, and, and I know it is. And, yeah. um, but I see that when they only do that, you know, they're still not able to like, um, s- squat all the way with putting their heels to the ground. Um, not able to, maybe not even able to reach behind their back anymore as well. Or even here, like people who are lifting might have some things with like bulging discs. So like, I see like these, these activities and um, and I find people who, who are injured and, and I try to understand why I see those commonalities, you know, between all these things, like even in running, right? Like you're, you're, you're stressing your body, you're pushing yourself, but why, why is there, um, why is there this, like this, this problem or this weakness that you have? But then I look at like, you know, you have things like yoga, for instance, right. And yoga paired with those activities. I've always wondered, Um, would that help people? Like, is there this disconnect? You talk about it with the overuse injuries, right? Is there this disconnect between I want to do jujitsu and I'm going to get my submission and do my jujitsuing. And my goal is, is to win in jujitsu. I want to run. And my goal is to complete my run. Um, And then, you know, I want to lift. And my goal is to, you know, bench uh, 150 pounds for like five reps. Um, And I, when you follow that system and that, that, that aim, the end result, I don't see like necessarily a healthy body, but I do see an accomplished person in that discipline. Yeah. I think that's the tricky part. It kind of brings us back full circle to what we're talking about, about those habitual um, and postural imbalances. If you only lift, let's say you really are focusing on the, you know, bench press, those pecs, they're going to get big, but they're also going to restrict how well your shoulders move. And so to get into, say, 
a handstand in yoga is going to be really hard because you maybe can only get your shoulders. You can't bring your arms up by your ears because you're too tight in your pecs, right? Like it's really hard for me to do a handstand because my lats are really tight because I tend to climb and I work. Everything I do is in front of me. Um, and so I like to think that we should do a little bit of all of those things. We should all do a little jujitsu. We should all do a little bench press and we should all run a little. We want to move our bodies in as many different ways as we can because that's what keeps them healthy because our joints have limitations, right? We can only bend and extend our knees so much. And then there also is a little bit of limitations of how much load you can put it on, how much repetitive load can you put on it? And that's where you start to find that people have those restrictions where they can't do a full squat, keeping their heels on their ground because it bugs their knee because they have those muscular patterns that are limiting um, or maybe some injuries from overuse. All of that combines to create some of those limitations. So I like to think that, you know, I'm not really good at, well, I'm not excellent at any one thing, but I'm really good at a bunch of things. You know, I love to ski, I love to hike, I love to do yoga, I like my job, but I'm not, and even in my job, I'm an eclectic therapist. I don't just do one technique. I try and use multiple techniques. It's better for me in terms of my body. It's, I think, better, better for my patients because not everybody's the same. Um, and then it's certainly better for my physical and mental health to try different activities. It, it keeps me out of that one pattern that could create injury. And I would even, I'd extend it um, farther to, you know, or like you're saying, psychological, like our mental health, um, because you find that we get very comfortable in our emotionally in our routines and, and, you know, in our behavior. And I would say it's probably pretty good to push yourself, you know, outside of those comfort zones and explore. Um, there's a book by Josh Wazakin called The Art of Learning. Um, he was like a, a chess prodigy, I think in like the nineties, you know, is like a kid beating all these adults and, uh, chess tournaments and playing chess tournaments on multiple boards at once. Um, so he was super focused and fixated in being good at chess, right? He was a specialist yeah. at the time. What he noticed was, um, he would do something that nobody else would at the time for, for chess, he would, in preparing for all these tournaments, people would be like, well, we only have a limited amount of time. So to be the best, I'm going to spend the amount of time that I have in my life to learn the most, because then I must exceed. That must be, you know, that's the linear, the way to do this, right? Time is the variable. So I'm going to learn the most. And then he would go off on these trips with his parents. They'd go into their sailboat and then they'd go and sail for like three months out at sea. Um, and people would be like criticized or surprised because, and he'd even be anxious initially when he first started to do that kind of stuff with his parents because he wasn't, he was missing out on all that practice time and all that training. But what he realized, and the whole book is about, you know, um, specializing in something and trying to learn it to a high degree, he realized that uh, actually spending time away from that outside of his regular routines and patterns gave him creativity and insight when he returned to the thing. And I found that my own self, like I'm much like you, very eclectic, and I like to do many different kinds of things. Um, but for people out there who might be very single-minded, 
you could find it occasionally stepping away from those things for some period of time might help you physically, but it definitely will help you with your performance. Yeah, I think taking a break from anything, if you're really dedicated to one activity that you want to excel at, whether it's mountaineering, climbing, chess, cooking, sometimes your brain just needs a break. It needs a time to absorb all of that information so that you can let it wrap. I mean, our, I think our minds are an amazing place. You, How many times have you solved a problem when you weren't thinking about the problem? It just mm-hmm. kind of comes to you, right? When you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I think it's important to give yourself that grace period away from something, even if you love it so that you can let your body and your mind um, kind of take it all in and absorb it so that it can come back and apply those, those learned techniques, movement patterns, whatever they may be, to the next situation. When you have an acute injury, like someone slipping on the ice, right, mm-hmm. and then they, they might hurt their groin or, or something of that nature, right. um, what is that? Like, what is there, is there a way that you could do that you could prevent that with certain like exercise routines over time? Not the specific injury in the groin, but like having an acute stressor on your body and then your body becoming injured to that? Like, because is the acute stress on your body relative to what you're able to manage? Um, so I think what you're asking is, can you prevent, like, can you prevent an acute injury? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so can you avoid straining your groin muscle or, you know, you're spraining your ankle and you can, I think you can recover faster. Mm-hmm. An acute injury is just, it's a terminology of, it's an injury that last that symptoms um, tend that shorter duration. It's usually sudden chronic is more when it's been going on for a long, long time. A lot of times acute injuries can become chronic if you don't address them. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think the healthier you are, the fitter you are, the more flexible you are, you're going to recover faster from those sudden injuries than you would from if you were if you were not a healthy individual. Okay. All right. So somebody who Maybe is they've got a chronic disease, say lupus, or they're dealing with cancer, and their body's already dealing with a lot. If they sprain their ankle, they're probably going to have a higher inflammatory response and have a harder time getting back to square one than say somebody who's 25 and healthy and you know generally you know maybe they're not even athletic, but they're just they're younger. Or even a 60-year-old who's, they're a healthy individual. They're going to recover a little faster than, say, the 25-year-old who's dealing with cancer. Yeah. Um, it really depends on what else is going on in your system. We all are going to have acute injuries because stuff happens. We slip on the ice. It's how our body resolves those. Does it resolve it in a week or does it take months? Okay. And uh, just one last question in, in closing, just because I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> um, something that I find interesting is just kind of in relation to injury um, is like a rolled ankle and running. Mm-hmm. And I remember that there's a notion that when you roll your ankle um, that you're likely to roll it again. And the more you roll it, the more likely it is to happen. I've had that from 
particularly two friends in basketball where they were developing that problem and um it just seemed kind of like downhill in that sense from there um what i've realized in so in running was the rolling the ankle sometimes used to happen um Mm -hmm. and usually when i'm mentally fatigued but um i find that there's something called buddha buddha squats if you're familiar, are you familiar with those? No, I'm not. So Buddha squats are, <laughs> um, you basically roll to the outside edge of your feet and oh. you, you push your feet together yeah. and, and then you, you do squats on the, basically like a rolled ankle. You're basically, you're doing squats on two rolled ankles. Uh-huh. And I, I know it sounds like relative to like my my squatting and stuff like that's not a painful thing for me and I can do weight there and I've built up to it over time mm-hmm. uh, but the thinking there was well if I can bear weight on the ankle at that end range of motion then would I reduce the likelihood not remove it but reduce the likelihood of injury if I were to roll my ankle but then would I because you know the whole injury there is like rolling the ankle and then loading it with your body weight which is that seems terrifying. And then on top of that, what I found though through my running is that um, as opposed to in relying on the ability to um, load a rolled ankle with my body weight, I have developed the proprioception to reconfigure my footing in a very short amount of time to not ever even load the rolled ankle and I didn't do that as a result of training that proprioception kind of bit there I did that as in as a consequence of running over time Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense to you no it actually it sums it sums PT up pretty well for a sprained ankle Um, so uh, there is some physical changes that happen when you have a really bad ankle sprain the ligaments that help stabilize your ankle stretch ligaments are not like muscles they're not elastic so think about more like a the rings on the plastic rings on a six-pack of soda you stretch it out but it doesn't go back to the same length that it was at so that's why your friends say you know i constantly roll my ankle because those ligaments are stretched you can compensate for those as you were saying by improving your proprioception working on things you're know, working on strength we actually when somebody comes in for an ankle sprain when they're able to tolerate it we will have them walk on the outside edge of your foot like the buddha squat you were talking about so that their body gets used to oh i can roll like this and chaos doesn't have to ensue right? I can keep my stability. I can work out of that position. So that's what we try and do in the clinic is to put them into more challenging positions to train their body to compensate for the fact that they don't have that structural integrity anymore. And then again, as you were saying, that practice of being on different surfaces and running and getting back into that activity, you just have to retrain that body in a focused way, which, you know, takes a little extra time. That's cool. Well, good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jody. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed this very much. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did too. Like I've been looking forward to speaking with you for so long and like, I'm really happy that, that it all worked out and just the conversation was great and you inspire me. 
If it were a different kind of lifestyle, you'd inspire me to be a physical therapist, to be honest. Well, good. I, you know, it's a really, it's a career that I enjoy. And you can also, I mean, you don't, PTs are great, but I work with a great PTA, Shannon, who, um, I'm the big picture girl and she's the detail girl. So she, you know, there's physical therapy assistant programs out there too. I would strongly encourage you. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would too. I know it's been on my mind for a while. So <laughs> yeah. Well, if ever you want to come hang out at the clinic, just give us a holler. Oh, sweet. Thank you, Jody. I appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. You take care. Yeah, absolutely. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, bye. Woo. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I was so stoked to be able to talk to Jody. Like, Physical therapy is just fascinating to me because if I were to zoom out from like exposure therapy to if you're feeling socially, you know, anxious, right? You, you, um, you're maybe afraid of the water. You're afraid to get into elevators. Um, you know, maybe you, you have some kind of injury. There's this like, not even injury you're not able to do something right you're not able to get all the way sit all the way onto the floor without using some kind of supported assist with your hands you're not able to stand from the floor without using some supported assist with your hands and the answer to these things is incremental stress relative to your abilities like i just find it so beautiful you know, if you're if you're finding yourself in utter turmoil and chaos psychologically or physically, even emotionally, incremental stress in the places that you were uncomfortable seem to be this underlying principle that could elicit growth in not just the physical realm, but the mental realm. I mean, it just seems so incredible. And oftentimes there's this thing that we bump into, this fixed mindset. Like, I can't do that. I couldn't climb up that. That seems terrifying and scary. I couldn't run that far. Oh my gosh, put my body through that. I couldn't go and speak in front of a thousand people. And let me lay it out for you. Public speakers talking in front of people, pretty scary. That's some most a lot of the challenge. Some people might not be afraid, and they might be set up pretty well for that. But most people, terrified. Step up and face the challenge over time with consistency and with um, introspection and, in, and introspection. Build up the you could build the ability to be able to talk in front of people to do something that is completely unrecognizable to your previous abilities. You go and climb, right? Some people, Alex Honnold, I mean, not even though, but not afraid of heights, but still, he's still afraid of heights, just a little, right? If he's in somewhere that's like truly out of his comfort zone, he talks about it, he can get adrenalized by being up high in a freaky situation, but it's super unlikely because he trains through incremental stress to withstand exposure, to be able to withstand all of these movements in a very calm and confident manner. He's not an alien. Some of us have a little more or less abilities 
in these areas, but relative to what you can do, you can progress in this. You could be terrified of heights and build your ability to withstand the psychological stress from being exposed a thousand or a few hundred feet up in the air. And, and it's beautiful because it, sure, it's like a physical manifestation of what you can do. Look at the muscles, you know, look that you can bend backwards and touch the ground behind you doing a full back bend. You know, look, you could put your legs behind your head, sure. But I think these things are a physical manifestation of what's really going on. Participating in this framework of asking yourself what you what is outside of your comfort zone setting your aim and driving forward towards that with the realization that the conclusion might be different than your expectations and it might even be different than what other people are able to do or or are able not to do and then you can see exercise and, and, and all of these things as an opportunity to watch yourself blossom and unfold and remark at the beauty that is to be discovered. And I love how Jody's, when we have this conversation, it's obvious that there's not a lot of right and wrong, black and whites that there's a lot of nuance and uncertainty and gray areas in between things. And while that can be very confusing and anxiety-inducing for some people who want hard and fast rules, I think it is the opportunity for you to set off on your own experience of mystery, surprise, and curiosity where you can discover what you're really capable of. You could find the boundaries that exist inside of your soul in your body my conversation with Jody just inspired me to continue along this journey and I hope you guys found it as inspiring as I did if you can check her out at um, physiocarept.com and I'll be sure to leave the link to that in the show notes if you want to support the show, you can go to becomingahumanpodcast.com. You can drop a comment and share it with a friend. Head over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. That's really helpful. Um, you can even go to our store and pick up some merch. I'm going to be releasing some new hats soon and maybe some buffs. Um, but if you subscribe to our, um, our newsletter from the website, then you'll be updated when all of that releases. And this, I'm going to play you out with a song, Paul, a sat song called I Am. I hope you guys enjoy, and I hope 2021 is starting off well for y'all. Bye. No longer fear the unknown 
Cause I know what I am here for I keep on trodding on my own path Keep on learning from my present and past, yeah When I no longer need validation Cause my story is long and I'm patient I know that I have lessons to learn Keep my eyes open each step I earn, yeah No need for me to feel alone Cause I got a place that I call home Every single road travel, every single new place I come back home, they accept me with grace, yeah When I know that I was meant to be here And I know that I was born into fear But I will stand tall in the lion's den Cause I know in my heart I am one of them That there lies in the facets of everything that we see That are telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you Said I deserve to be here But I'm in a constant transition, constantly changing vision Story never certain, there is always a revision to be made When I think about the demons I have slayed I am not afraid of confrontation in vain To the people that seek evil, not as peaceful as I look What a warrior at heart, so precaution must be took What I'm trying to give in to the lessons that will soften my ways And means of changing, cause I talk to spirit often Tell me to stay sharp, tell me to stay present Tell me to ignore the fools and focus on a sin well, I said I will stop my ego and I will remain strong I will make mistakes and I will often be wrong When I'm perfectly imperfect and I'm only here to learn And all the evil on the path gets burned I said I'm perfectly imperfect and I'm only here to learn And all the evil on the path gets burned But there lies in the facets of everything that we see That are telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you Always come from the outside Try not to let it in where I reside Well this is my heart, my home, my choice My love, my life, my path, my voice But I feel my heart grow with each step Stand firm in where the path goes next Well I know that where it goes is where I need to be The more lessons rain down, more blessings I see Sit there and lies in the facets of everything that we see They're telling us to be scared When all we ever are is free I'm letting go of the things that don't serve me no more Cause I am holy and sacred and righteous and true And I deserve to be here and so do you